Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today is a insanely informative episode. This is right up the Boom Boom Performance podcast alley, and it was exciting because it was the first multi-guest podcast, the first roundtable, if you will. Um, I mean, actually, not if you will, literally a roundtable. It's the first one that has ever been hosted here at the uh, at the warehouse. Um, that's what we call it, the headquarters, the Tailored Coaching Headquarters, the HQ. Um, we had myself, Cody McBroom. We had Alex Bush, Austin Current, and Sue Bush, the three head coaches of Physique Development, all here to spend some time with me. They were here from Monday to Friday, Basically, just training every day, shooting a bunch of content, recording podcasts. We got to do quite a few stuff together, go get food, go train a bunch. It was a really good time, and it was fun for me because it was the first time I got to host anybody, and this is something I'm planning on doing more of in the future where um, some fellow content creators and, and or coaches head to the warehouse. They hang with me for a few days. We get food. We train hard. We create content, and we send them on their way, and it's kind of like an experience uh, with the TCM crew essentially at the headquarters. So it was a really, really cool time. It was a great experience. These are some really good friends of mine and they have been really good friends of mine for a long time now. So it was a pleasure to have them here and it was a pleasure for me to have them on the show, especially because they're unbelievably smart. So you're going to witness four coaches answering questions today. We had a lot of good questions. It's actually a two-part podcast. So this is part one. Uh, Part two will air on Thursday. So You'll have that episode in a couple days. You can finish this conversation. But the podcast went on for at least two hours. So it was a long show. Um, So we decided to split it into two, but we dove into a lot of really good questions regarding training, nutrition, and then some educational stuff around being a good coach. So you're going to listen to all four of us kind of share our thoughts on each question, have conversations about the the questions in general, and really just open up dialogue as a whole um, around the idea of training and nutrition and coaching specifically. So I'm really excited about this episode. This one was a blast for me to have, and it's always fun having multiple people on the show. Um, Guys, remember one quick thing too is if you like watching these, we are putting most of the episodes on YouTube. So if you want to do that, you can head over to our YouTube. There's a link for that in the show notes or you can search me, Cody Boom Boom, on YouTube. Um, Subscribe there. We're putting out more content on YouTube right now. So I really want to make sure you guys go over there, you subscribe and you see what we're doing. Um, A ton of coaching and and exercise demonstration videos, but we're also going to be doing a, a new video of some sort one to two times a week, whether it is a reverse dieting video or the habit tracking video I did last week or we're diving into a full day of training with me or a full day of meal prep, we're going to really start to dive into YouTube. So I'm excited to bring more long form video content for you guys, but that's where it's going to be. It's not going to be on IGTV. It's going to be solely on YouTube. So make sure you head over to YouTube, subscribe there. I want you guys to see what we're putting out. And if you'd rather watch Sue, Alex and Austin and myself actually sit down in a circle on the chairs in the office and break these questions down live, then head over to YouTube too, because we have the episode there and you can actually watch us as well as many of the Q&As and some of the topic episodes that we do with Travis and myself, my co-host. So 
All right, guys, that's it for me. Um, I'm, I'm kind of rambling on, but this is a really cool episode. Three of my really good friends, three really intelligent coaches, um, and all four of us have a similar mindset around a lot of things, but different perspectives on how to approach it. So I think you're going to get a lot of different point of views and a lot of good information on how to best dive into your training and nutrition and how to best determine what is the best route for you inside of all these different topics we cover today. If you like this show, make sure you head over to Instagram, post a screenshot on your story and tag all of us. We all want to see that you are enjoying this. Myself at Cody.BoomBoom, Alex at AlexBush underscore underscore. That's two underscores because somebody took his name. <laughs> at Austin Current underscore because somebody took his name too. <laughs> and then Sue is at Sue Gaines. That's Gaines with a Z, as you could probably imagine. So tag us all on Instagram. We want to see that you are listening and we want to share it on our story as well. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. And without any further ado, let's get into the Physique Development Roundtable Part 1. That's, yesterday was the first time I've ever heard baby. <laughs> How it's unfortunate. How do you feel? I've seen him uh, on Instagram with a lot of diamonds, like yeah. many times. And I was like, who is this guy and why is he so rich? Yeah. But he owns his own record label too. I don't know that much about him. Okay. I just know he's a <laughs> TikTok sensation. Is that how we got? He yeah, has yeah. a banger on TikTok yeah. that has a dance that goes with it. It's uh, called Bop. I'll teach you it after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Duh baby. Duh baby. Duh baby. Uh, me and Austin talked very briefly about this yesterday. Not a fan of new rap. Mm-hmm. Not a huge fan. I, I'm not either. I, I mean, Ironically I'm more of a, a fan. Uh, yeah, I'm more of a country artist to begin with, but new rap is humorous to me. I, I find it very interesting the fact of how popular it is from a social media perspective yeah. and how it pops off. Um, and I find it very humorous in general, like the, the lyrics themselves and just how obnoxious it is, is, is cool to me. It's yeah. like so bad. Sometimes it like does bop because you're like, <laughs> man, this sucks. Like, yeah, I don't <laughs> resonate I don't with that. <laughs> There's some catchy songs sometimes, but it's yeah. very hard for me to get into newer. Yeah. Rap. And then my friends give me shit because I'm constantly listening to like really old, not even like classic hip hop that you can be like, oh, that's just like old school. It's like. 2000s like early 2000s i'm still in there yeah i like classically if they are new hip-hop artists i like classically inspired hip-hop artists so if they're making obviously new music like kendrick j cole yeah like you know logic like logic. those kind of yeah those are kind of more my speed than yeah i like the logic russ he likes good he likes good hip-hop too he I just do. he yeah. likes to, i think annoy I like himself the baby was my first impression on well, Alex's hip hop, that's pretty that's representative good. of yeah. Alex. I'm glad. Well, Alex, um, I'll say with music, we 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 both go through trends, and especially in the summer, it's more country and then more rap in the winter, kind of thing, just how it goes. But we will get caught on songs and just listen to it until yeah. we hate it. I burn then, songs out. I'm the same way. He does that with. Um, lingo as well oh yeah. oh yeah which you do it now too <laughs> so you both do it with lingo so you basically i think who was it we were talking about this too simon yeah. from iron paradise oh yeah then he he started saying yurt as well mm-hmm. <laughs> what i say about yurt <laughs> i said i have not lived this down like every day i'm i literally last night it's like shannon it's not funny anymore i said uh i was like i said that's tight and she like <laughs> That's tight. Uh, we were driving, and I literally saw a car. She's like, oh, look at that car. I was like, damn, that's tight. <laughs> and she starts crying laughing. And then I started laughing, and she was like, you sound like like a, a young boy. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you saying? And I was like, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why. But now everything that happens, she's like, oh, damn, that's tight, Cody. And she's like, fuck, shut up. I'm going to bring that back. Uh, Shoot. Yeah. 
I was trying. <laughs> it, did, it did not work. If you can't roast your significant other, then there's no point. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. You need to be able to. Yeah. I wouldn't take you for a country guy, though. I didn't. I guess is that is that more popular in your guys' neck of the woods? Yeah. Midwestern, yeah. In the Midwest. I'd say, like, that portion of the Midwest uh, is very, very poor geography. Like, I didn't <laughs> want to say Midwest because I was like, I don't even know if it is. So, everywhere from, like... <clears throat> Kansas. So Kansas is basically you drive from Kansas into Col- like into Colorado. And you guys are Kansas, right? No, no, no. no. Kentucky. 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 Kentucky, that's right. Which is that's still you could so from south. what would <laughs> technically it is the south, yeah. but it's the south within the Midwest, which is even more confusing. Yeah. Um but essentially from like the eastern part of Colorado, um the most western part of Kansas, that's like 15 hours. So you could drive 15 hours straight without stopping and you're still technically within the Midwest. That's wild. It's wild. Yeah. Which I think it's West more Coast is literally a state. Mm-hmm. Well I guess that makes sense. It's like West Coast, East Coast, and then everything else is I think it has oh, to be Yeah, with... why is it Midwest? Why isn't it because there's no Mid East. Middle East is <laughs> well, like You don't want to so, say that. So I, that's what I that's yeah, what I say to Cass because I always I always just just say like oh, I'm from the Mid East or I'm saying I say from I'm from the Middle East. Which clearly, like, <laughs> you can, so which you can deduce, like, I'm very white, um, you know, very white European looking and obviously sound like I'm from the U.S. So clear as day, like, I'm clearly not from the Middle East that you're thinking of, yeah. like a worldview. I'm from the Mideast of the United States, yeah, yeah. Um, which it's just, I poke fun at it. But in terms of like, I just honestly think it's like a historical thing that we've hung mm-hmm. on to yeah. because, I mean, obviously we started out on the East Coast within... You know, uh, the yeah. British coming over and then, oh, that's exactly why. Yeah. And then they, way more sense they labeled things based off of that. And I think since the expansion out into the quote unquote West with like, let's say the gold rush, like in the 1800s, then they were able to kind of like label that the West. And so I think they've just honestly stuck with that. Yeah. Same with why Kentucky is the South where geographically, like it's not necessarily super Southern, yeah. but comparative to comparative to what they had at that time that was the south but it is funny because a lot i went to school in kentucky and a lot of people are kind of like oh that's not really the south like it is touching northern states it is mm-hmm. more close to the north but, but it has it's that like very southern, southern. yeah very southern and that's why like i don't look at florida as southern yeah even though it's at the bottom of the map yeah but it's it, not like, like southern you know, as in like georgia mississippi kentucky like i i see that as like yeah Tennessee. It's funny because I, so Shannon grew up listening to country. I hated country Mm. and I only was like, okay, I will listen to it because like I wanted her to be happy. Right. And now like she catches me like bob my head. (laughs) Listen, I've been to a couple country concerts. Like, but I, I I will like, I'll listen to Chris Stapleton on repeat. Um, I can get down with that. That's more like bluesy. Then it's I more feel, rocky, bluesy than it is country. Like I even hear a little yeah. like Stevie Ray Vaughan in them and stuff versus yeah. just straight country. But yeah. Chris Stapleton writes for most popular country artists. That's, That's what he started as was he was the writer for all of them. Mm. And then he started to sing. Someone himself. found out he could sing. Yeah. And then it's all over. But like he yeah. wrote a ton of country. That's crazy. I, Cause he's, he's definitely my favorite. I like Luke. Combs. Luke Combs. We went to a concert we with him recently. We were just there. I was going to say, oh, really? say Brian. Day. I'm going to take this headphone. <laughs> no, that's actually the one I, I despise. Thank like, you. I mean, he's, cool. he's a good guy, I'm sure, but <laughs> don't I, like his music. Luke, just, Brian, if you're listening, we still think you're a good guy. <laughs> he sounds like his nose is blood constantly. But we went to a concert, and it was probably the same tour as you guys went to, and who opened up for him? 
Um, uh, Ashley, Amanda, or, uh, Ashley McBride. Yep. Oh, okay. So it was but different Morgan over here. Morgan Whalen. Morgan Whalen. Yeah. So uh, shout out to Kevin Klug, trainer of uh, Luke Combs. Mm. Um, I'm good friends with him, and I work with some of his clients. So we came, and he, like, showed up at our seats, and we're like, come down, come down to the lower level. So we went, like, literally right in front of Luke. Dang. And uh, he was like, you want to grab a drink with me? And I was like, sure. So he took me backstage. And Morgan Whalen's like sitting there and I'm getting whiskey with him. And then I go take a pee and I'm in the urinal next to him. Don't even think anything of it. Walk out and I like say bye and everything. And Shannon's like, what were you doing backstage with Morgan Whalen? I'm like, who? Like, who's that? And she was like the guy that just opened. And I was like, oh, I was peeing next to him. I was just peeing. She's like, no fucking way. And that was the first time I ever heard of him. Um, but it was, it, was, it was a good time though. The country concerts are fun just because everybody's there to like – have fun and party. Exactly. I went yeah. to a Florida Georgia Line concert way back. They're good. And live was fun really fun. to see fun. live. Yeah, yeah really cool live. But overall, it's grown on me. Good. Yeah. It's good to hear. <laughs> but uh, The baby's going to grow on you after we're here. I don't know. Man. No. <laughs> no. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can do that. Even like Future, like there was like a couple songs, but even him, I was like, oh. yeah. Migos, I was like, dude, I can't do this. <laughs> That's like, the hype squad. Those it is like the hype my, squad. Those are the humorous people that I find. Yeah. I find it so funny. <laughs> it is funny. It's yeah. funny that that's rap. Yeah. Have you, have you, uh, is anybody watch hip hop evolution? Mm-hmm. Such a good documentary on mm-hmm. Netflix. Yeah. Really, really cool. It's just yeah. cool seeing the story of everybody and like how hip hop has evolved. Uh, like Eminem story, 50 cent story, Lil Wayne story. Yeah. And then like master P and Jay Z, like even the old timers and stuff like that. And even before that, like uh, two live crew, Tupac and Biggie had a very short section, which I was happy about because I was like, I don't want to watch another documentary just talking about Tupac and Biggie. <laughs> right. Um, but that was really good. Really good documentary. So we can actually answer some fitness questions if you guys want. Sounds yeah, good. We've Is covered that my our cue? geography. Geography. Yeah. Hip-hop. And hip-hop. Yeah. And I think a little bit of country. I think we're good now. <laughs> so we got quite a few questions. Some um, I can tell who are the people that ask like – questions to my podcast because some of them are like really long so we'll see how we attack those uh trudy maves has four questions first one is uh women with periods how to work with the hormones take it away yeah i think that's a great question i think that um there's research talking about training and periodizing it through the different phases within a woman's menstrual cycle but i do find that oftentimes that's a little bit much to change training based on what cycle you're in as part of your cycle. It's just a lot. I will say learning each client and learning about kind of when they don't feel good versus when they do feel good is huge because I have clients that they feel their worst the week before their cycle, some that feel the worst the week of their cycle and some during um, while they are ovulating. And so figuring what that is so that I can structure training a little bit towards that, not to the point of like, hey, each time that you are menstruating versus uh, doing something else, we're going to have different training in play. Um, But being able to kind of play to it to a certain degree, but being able to also make sure they're pushing themselves, but feeding them towards it. I would say I more so change food around cycle than anything else. Changing macro allotment. If someone's struggling with digestion or like major bloating or anything like that, being able to change um, the macros. 
more so than the training. I would agree. I think like I'm usually changing diet more than anything. I've heard people actually uh, change training depending on the cycle or the like yeah. the phases. And I'm like, at that point, the follicular cycle, all these different cycles, you're literally like changing training every week. Yeah. It's like your intensity is going up and down. Um, I know there's some research that shows like at, at, like the week prior to the actual period starting. Uh, sometimes I want to, I can't remember if it's that week or the week of where like injury risk actually goes up. Mm -hmm. So I know like sometimes deloading a little bit, but I think if you're just talking to your client and listening to their biofeedback, you can kind of, and it's a, a lot of it's psychology too. Like, yeah. how are you feeling? How, and like, I'll try not to make too many big changes around that time. Cause they're already stressed out. It's like, yeah. let's just get through it. Yeah. I think but, as long as you're instilling auto-regulation, which I know you do and I know we do, is just talking to your clients about the fact of, hey, you may feel this way or you may feel that way and ask them how they're feeling. But as long as the kind of the cornerstone of your foundational programming is built around auto-regulating things based off how you feel, like we know when to push, we know when to pull back. And if you feel bad, then pull back. If you feel great, it doesn't matter kind of what, different books or papers are saying yeah. it's in the sense of do you feel great then go if yeah. you don't then don't and then we'll live to train another day is always a better philosophy i think i think it's gotten blown up with like all the seed cycling and all this mm -hmm. like crazy stuff which seed cycling literally there's not a single research paper that i'm aware of that's actually been documented on it and i'm not saying like anybody who seed cycles like it's it's worthless um it's not really my realm but i just think it's kind of getting blown out of proportions yeah. like the specificity of what's needed we yeah. can do that we work. The industry is great at blowing things out of proportion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so. think in 2018, I had read Lyle McDonald's book of over women's mm -hmm. health, and had really submerged myself into trying to work around everyone's cycle, and it just didn't really. It just doesn't necessarily pan out for everyone. So, like, just making it to each client is is huge. I think knowing, like, understanding it makes sense because it's a great book, and there's, oh, it's phenomenal. And yeah. I mean, he goes in all of his books. It's like so much detail into every little aspect. So it's helpful as a coach to understand those things. But what's applicable isn't always the whole book. And I think that's like same with research studies, right? Like people will read a study and they think they need to immediately apply it or apply this to everybody or apply every piece of it. And it's like look at the context and look at the theory behind it and apply what makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Apply the aspects that actually work with, because I think practical application in, in like what's done theoretically or with research is two completely different things sometimes. Yeah. Well, you can read the same book twice and get two, I mean, you get yeah. a multitude of things yeah. different from each read. Uh, so, I mean, one that I like to always go back to is like Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss and every time I read it, I get something different from it that yeah. I needed at that time. And I think that same thing with different modalities or strategies we use as coaches is like, you just have different things that you're pulling upon or using as tools at different times. And I think you made a good point. Like I, I, I think one, that's a great book to do that with read multiple times. Cause I think depending on where you're at in your life, you'll probably relate to a different person's story. Cause I haven't read that book, but I'm pretty sure it's literally just a bunch of different people. He has the same. So yeah, he has the same like six, anywhere from like six to 10 questions. Um, he has the same questions to these like 80 people, I think mm -hmm. that everyone from the Dalai Lama to Sean White to, you know, obviously that's a huge, yeah. you know, uh, array of, of our gap that you can fill with different types of people. And so, um, yeah, it, you get a multitude of answers and it, everything from uh, the way they conduct business, the way they kind of like the philosophies on their life, but also uh, what's the best product you bought for a hundred dollars last year. Yeah. And it's just like the, you see the practicality and the way that people think about even their daily purchases or uh, things like that, which 
then shed light on different things. But yeah, it's a great book. I, I've I enjoyed it. That. I actually don't ever, I've never listened to Tim Ferriss's podcast. So, uh, which you is crazy like because it. he's like it's one good. of the original podcasters. Like yeah. He just came out with one with uh, Ryan holiday. You'd really like, mm. I'd really enjoy Yeah. That I need to get on that and I need to read that book too. One thing you mentioned that I think would be a cool question to just kind of throw out, uh, wasn't asked, but you talked about auto regulation. Like how important understanding that or being, I guess, being okay with auto-regulating instead of always going by the book, always going by paper, if that makes sense. I think like I remember a time where I was uh, like one of the first like very serious strength programs I ever followed was probably with a lot of people, 531, Jim Landler. Mm -hmm. And it was like by the book percentages all the time. And I remember getting frustrated on my like third cycle when I wasn't hitting the percentage but hadn't deload. shitty night of sleep, whatever it may be. And that was when I had to really start thinking about like, okay, what's on paper isn't always the answer. Using auto-regulation, using RPE, things like that is is helpful. How often do you guys use that in your coaching and like what's the variety of where it applies? (laughs) I I would say that for me, it's honing in on what self-awareness and what that auto-regulation is for each client. So I find that if I just say like, oh, auto-regulate that or like do that, people are kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. well, aren't you here to coach me? But it's being able to kind of give a guiding force as to, I want you to do this, but I also want you to read into how you're feeling as yeah. you do it. Um, so for example, something that comes up with my clients is it'll be kind of the, the question of, should I go to the gym today? Or like, I'm really exhausted. Should I take it as rest? And and they're kind of having that internal dialogue of, am I making an excuse for myself? Am I tired or am I actually needing to take this rest from the gym or do I actually just need to like buckle up and go to the gym? Um, and it's kind of when they get to that point where they can tell me in a check-in like, hey, I actually was able to listen to my body and I actually needed a rest. It wasn't just an excuse. And that's like a huge for auto-regulation of being able to tell the difference between what's an excuse and what's me actually looking at the whole picture. Um, because for myself, even yesterday, um, training, I was tired. I mean, time change, all these different things. And it was really cold in there (laughs) and I wasn't getting warm. Like even when I left after a full session, my hands were still cold. My fingernails were blue and I was supposed to push myself in that session. And it was, I just finished a deload by the book is like, I'm supposed to be back at it. I'm Mm -hmm. supposed to be good. My two sessions before I came here, I felt really good, really fresh. Yesterday, I just was not doing well. I wasn't feeling the best. Picking up weight from the ground, deadlifting, was putting my lower back in an unadvantageous position. And so I was able to auto-regulate instead of being like, by the book, my programming says I have to do X, Y, and Z. It was like, I'm reading myself right now. I can't do X, Y, and Z without hurting myself. And so being able to see that for auto-regulation, I think is huge. Huge. Anything to add? I think it just, so at what cost is, is it worth it? And I think you have to kind of measure too. Like we talk a lot about the difference of physique based goals, strength based goals, competition based goals. Like you need to have a metric. You're kind of, what's your North star? What are you, what are you working towards? And if you know, you're two weeks out from a powerlifting meet, you may have to just nut up. Like you, ha- you just get over it. You're fine. Um, or it may be good to auto-regulate. So a lot of auto-regulation research comes from powerlifting and strength sports. So they're kind of the cornerstone, uh, you know, leaders in the auto regulation world and even more of the RPE, RIR based world. Uh, so they're the ones that kind of are gauging this fatigue rate over time and using that as a metric to then adjust their programming from that. So I think from a physique based standpoint, we can take those principles and then apply them to better 
or keep our career going or keep a prep going um, and make it a little easier on yourself and not wear out as quickly and burn out as quickly uh, and dig yourself into a hole too early. And even Alex, I'll hand it over to him because he was saying earlier, um, kind of the, the way we program and the way that we go about things just kind of keeps people more fresh throughout their preps and yeah. sets them up a little bit better. So, yeah. I th well, I think one thing is huge just to fail, to feel beat up. Like people don't even know necessarily what that feels like. So for them to really go through an experience of being like, damn, I know what being run down actually feels like. Okay. I can kind of auto regulate from mm. there because if you're expecting the individual to know what that feels like without ever experiencing it, you're really putting your both in a really poor position. Um, but I think that what we've experienced with our, our prep athletes is just the, the manipulation of stimuli and, and, and figuring out the, um, just volume that we can allocate and, and things of that nature has really been helpful for them to not get to that uh, point where they need to auto-regulate to a great degree. I think the only thing I would add, because I agree with everything you guys said, the only thing I would add is like teaching clients what symptoms to look out for. Because like you said, I was going to add the failure piece, so I'm glad you did. When you're approaching that, like what things start to happen so yeah. they can feel the symptoms, recognize the symptoms, and know that okay, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be like really taxed exactly. or burnt out. And now I can pull back and avoid that. Um, same thing with dieting, uh, training in general. And I also think it's really important to go to failure with a spotter, especially after I saw there was a study on it. But I've talked about this multiple times. And I think I've always really liked RPE and RIR and it works really well for me. And I've had clients that are like, I don't know how to gauge this. And I'm like, go fail, like take it all the way. Because there was this study that was on the bench press and it was like, and you guys probably saw this was like a 10 rep max. And they said, everybody put your 10 rep max in the bar. We'll spot you. I think the, the average was 16 reps. The lowest was 12 and the highest was 26. And like with a 10 rep max. And it's because people underestimate what an RPE of eight or nine or whatever is. Um, and then actually getting read up on this. I mean, there's a lot of good articles and stuff, but like learning what true RPE is. Cause I think two reps in the tank is completely different to certain people. Mm -hmm. There's been plenty of times where I'm training by myself in this big place alone. And I'm like, that's like an RPE eight. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, you know what? I can keep going. And I squeeze out four more reps and I'm like, I probably still could have done two more. Yeah. And you yeah. don't realize how like far you need to go. Cause RPE eight should be challenging. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think a lot of people think RPE eight, like when you're leaving two in the tank, you should be like, it should be a breeze. I think there's a miss. Um, I think people mistake reps getting hard for failure. Because there's a point at which a rep gets really hard and rep speed starts to slow down. And I think then there is failure. And I think for many people, there's a large gap that you've yet to fulfill or experience in between, wow, this is getting hard. It's creating a lot of metabolic, metabolic waste or buildup. I'm feeling the burn. I'm starting to feel fatigued within the set. But unless you've been pushed to that point, do you know where failure is? Yeah. And so let's say after six reps the reps start to get hard you may get 15 reps out of that set but if you've only experienced well it gets hard at six and then i usually stop at eight because i'm like oh, i don't think so if you've never gone to 15 you've never experienced that failure you've never alex and i talk a lot about kind of going into that gear and i know sue goes into this next level gear of like <laughs> I'm reaching failure and I'm going beyond, but yet I'm still somehow moving. Um, like with split squats, for example, some of the videos I've watched you go through that is hell um, just to watch. And I know what it is to experience. Like I, so from personal experience, I've been put through many different types of sets. Um, and through that experience, like I've done 
let's say what I thought I could do 10 reps of a leg press, I've done 25 reps of what I thought I could do 10 with to the point where my quads feel like it went from a warm burning sensation to a sensation almost like icy hot in the way, like reverse <laughs> icy hot. Like they got warm, they were pumped. And then it almost, it's almost like they froze over and I, they became numb, but yet I was still pushing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that you get to that feeling and it's understanding what failure is, I think is super, super important. And understanding how to gauge RIR RPE is to understand failure first and know where your thresholds lie. Um, and then you just get better. It's a skill-based thing, right? So you're constantly getting better at gauging what that is. And it's always relative. It's always in flux, I think. And like yesterday for Sue, like that RP was much different yesterday. Our RIR yeah. is much different for her yesterday. And even for us with the, the RDLs we were doing, like much different um, to a different session where, you know, we've debilitated ourselves and gone way past the point of what we thought we could um, based off a certain just environment or lead up to, or how well you've eaten or how well you slept. Yeah. There's just so many factors. I try to word it as today's RPE for that yeah. reason. I think that's like, important. That yeah. Sense, when people yeah. are reading it, then it's not just like, well, usually I can lift 300 pounds. So an RPE would technically, and like you get those people that are very analytic. Based. Exactly. But right. you get yeah. people that are thinking that, well, I've done an RPE of eight, for this many reps at this weight before, so it should always be that way. And it's like, well, no, today's RP is different. Right. Um, but I 100% agree. One of the things I do, the, it's easier with a personal client or somebody you're training in person, especially, to teach this because you can have that conversation. But since we have a group uh, and a membership with training, it's been really hard for me to teach everybody RPE the right way. So one thing I've done with most of my programs is like week one, you're either doing like a three rep because I, I tend to stay away from a one rep max, but yeah. a three rep or an AMRAP mm-hmm. with like, depending on the lift, like I've done them for myself with like body weight on a trap bar AMRAP and you can get so many reps, but that gives you your gauge of like, okay, what is a real RPE? And I get people to do it on lower body lifts, upper body lifts. And then week two is kind of like a deload just to not really deloading anything, but they're familiarizing themselves with new movements. So it tends to be a deload anyway. And then week three, it's like, okay, well now we're starting to ramp things up, but you have that knowledge of what max is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Cool. So uh, her second question is how do hormones change for men with age? How do we incorporate those changes in their nutrition? And she had a third question that basically said same question for women. So we can kind of just, I think encompass this as what do hormones do as they age? Um, I'll speak first and just say like, regardless, I mean, there's going to be differences in what hormones do this, but for the most part, they decline. I mean, like at the end of the day, like for men, testosterone starts to drop. Um, For everybody, like this isn't necessarily a hormone, but like something to think about is like muscle protein synthesis declines and like our need for more protein uh, increases as we age. Um, Thyroid gland pretty much declines in everybody, male and female, but there's obviously some sex hormones that change with women, especially as they approach menopause. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the biggest thing to like, without overcomplicating this is that hormones just slow down, tap out, decline. They're not as efficient or balanced as we age. Um, and how do we incorporate, uh, what do we do with nutrition basically in order to to stop that? And I guess like, I would just say periodizing your nutrition better. So you're not constantly dieting because if your body is aging, it's a, it's a, it's really just a stress response, Mm -hmm. right? Your hormones start to slow down. Uh, muscle protein synthesis starts to slow down so you can increase protein a little bit higher than the typical person would need to. Uh, make sure you're not dieting for extended periods of time. And, and really just like more so than that, just just manage stress as a whole. I think like uh, this is, a, I mean, a good follow-up 
topic from the auto regulation. When we first had Blakely, I remember just being like, well, I mean, my schedule said like, I'm good. Like, I'm just going to keep training five days a week, lifting. And I got like two weeks in and I was literally like depressed and I was confused. Like I just had a daughter, like business is good. Why am I so sad all the time? <laughs> and I was just like smashed from a few weeks of trying to train like I was. And I wasn't sleeping obviously as much as I normally do. Um, and I had to like pull back training significantly, like three days a week of lifting and a couple like casual walks around the neighborhood. And I felt amazing, but it's the same thing. Like when there's great amounts of stress, which is part of aging, I think people just need to make up for that with recovery. So the more stress comes in, the more things you're trying to do to recover, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think stress management is the biggest thing with, with clients as they age is that they have so many things on their plate, kids work, all of those things. As you manage stress, you see better response from a hormonal perspective too. I think too many people glorify hormones right now too, though. Like, I think it's like a really big topic of everybody's trying to optimize hormones and do all these crazy things when, and even metabolic adaptation, it's something that you should be concerned with. But I think a lot of people are, are like, they use it as like a fear mongering thing. Mm -hmm. It's just part of dieting, right? You're going through it right now. There's yeah. nothing you can do about it. If you're a lighter body weight, your body adapts to support a lighter body weight, right? And it's just, yeah. if you're eating less calories, that's part of dieting. Um, but I think like there's so many hormone experts right now and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think we should have knowledge about hormones, but I personally think it's kind of blown out of proportion. I think people use it as an excuse to like not be able to move forward or not be able to see results. And it's like, you're just not creating a deficit. And you have to think of it kind of as a evolutionary thing. So why would this have been advantageous for this to happen? So like if you have lower food availability or lower body fat levels or lower, whatever hormones should adapt to that. Because that's how the people who came before us survived yeah. the conditions they did. That's how these things happened and how we, you know, came to even exist. So as far as that goes, I think understanding kind of the root of why it, the adaptation is what it is and doing our best to work around it and um, help just help improve the situation. But I think to pretend like it shouldn't exist is just foundationally yeah. wrong. So I think trying to put band-aids over things that are just, they are what they are. And this is the way that our physiology works. It's the way that our biochemistry works. Okay. Then how do we then address that? Then how do we go about that? We manage stress. We nutritionally periodize things. We periodize our training. We deload, we auto-regulate, we do all these things that are fairly unnatural from the extent of, of which we evolved. And so I mean, we may, have, obviously you would have, let's say you went on a hunt and you had short bursts of energy or you had to migrate over long distances or something like that. There are many things that would have upregulated, downregulated from there. But to say that the ans our ancestors went into a gym and actually absolutely <laughs> obliterated themselves with, let's say, you know, we've done sessions. I remember some of the sessions we did, I, j I was talking about this the other day, um, I, I remember deadlifting like 50,000 pounds of volume in one session. And it's just like, that's not, that wasn't that out of the ordinary, mm -hmm. but how out of the ordinary from our human cells is that yeah. like how we evolved? Like you're not, you weren't like, we didn't adapt. It's going to take us a long time to adapt to that and create, you know, new machinery to deal with a stress like that. And our modern day stresses are different and we yeah. react differently. So I think managing stress and then understanding why these things are the way they are and then kind of just accepting what that is and altering our life or adjusting our life or enhancing our life in other ways. Yeah. I would say stress and sleep. So many people take sleep to the side as well, but 
I would say as far as optimizing hormones go, making sure your stress is managed and your sleep is prioritized will go a very long way. Really? Uh, and uh, yeah, I think just that awareness, uh, the awareness of what happens, the education behind what happens and then how to help it with these things is the biggest thing because it, it almost becomes easier to accept and manage if you just get what's going on. Mm -hmm. If you understand like, oh, it's the end of the world. Even like uh, typically dieting uh, causes cortisol to be higher on a more frequent basis. Well, it makes sense. If I have no food, cortisol goes up, adrenaline goes up because of that, I can hunt, I can run, I can feed, like find food easier. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. But when I know that, it's like, okay, like, no, this is normal. Cortisol can be a little higher. How can I mitigate that? How can I blunt that a little bit? Instead of like letting it stress me out more and thinking I'm doomed and then that inherently increases cortisol more and it's just mm -hmm. like a never-ending loop. Or periodizing, just really quick, or periodizing your nutrition in the way of giving yourself uh, periods of higher carbohydrates during yeah. different yeah, diet, uh, breaks, different diet breaks and stuff like that because um, another reason why cortisol would be or kind of spike or it be elevated is because you have low uh, blood glucose. Yep. So if you have low energy levels uh, within the body itself and let's say your liver needs energy or your you need energy or something like that, um, and you're just at rest, let's say, you know, your liver's trying to supply these things because your muscles are quite selfish with their, their glycogen storage. So your liver has to basically keep up with all of this stuff and get glucose to the brain and all of these other things and run these other organs that are in incredibly vital to us surviving and way more important than our muscles are, um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, so at that, I think it's just going through an understanding why it's so important to have nutritional periodization, diet breaks, um, and then not being chronically low carb, which is the threat you run um, with chronic, chronic low carb diets. And it can be helpful for a time period, um, but there's definitely times, especially as like a lean training athletic individual, carbohydrates are important and yeah. they help with the management, not only of blood sugar, but also the management of cortisol and the catecholamines and stuff like that. This is, this is a side topic that I think would be interesting to get everybody's <laughs> opinion on, but um, like what trends or things you think are going to come up in the next year or so. And, and I say that because like, so uh, keto was around in the eighties, came back. Um, like there's been different training modalities that have came back. Carb cycling even did a little bit, but we see these things that kind of cycle, you know, intermittent fasting mm -hmm. is another thing. Um, and I said this on a, somebody asked me this and I was like, I have a feeling like ultra high carbohydrates, diets are going to come back. And I think like low fat diets are going to come back because they were popular in the nineties. So mm -hmm. if we look at like a, like a time perspective, mm -hmm. it makes sense that it'd probably cycle around, um, again here soon. Um, but I've also seen more and more physique athletes going like ultra high carb, pretty damn low fat, and they're getting amazing results. And, and it makes sense if we look at everything we're talking about with cortisol and stuff. Now there's obviously a hormonal factor that's an issue with low, low fats. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've even had some people that, um, are in my membership site that were like eating really low levels of fat, but they were at maintenance or above because of carbohydrates. And I was like, I don't know if I would recommend that. And they were like, well, I'm doing blood work. And it's like, everything looks amazing. What I'm type like, of fats are they though? Are they essential fatty acids? Are yeah. they, yeah. Yeah. and that's what I wouldn't know. Cause it's just like a member that I'm like, I'm not doing their nutrition. So I don't right. know the details. Um, and I think that plays a big role. If you do go low fat, like you have to really be particular about what kind of fats you are taking in. Um, but that was like one of the things that I saw that I was like, I think that might be a trend that comes back is like high carb diet. I mean, we went through fasting, we went through, um, like the paleo thing, which is starting to die off a little bit. We went through keto still there, but it's starting to die off. And I think the next thing is going to be ultra high. Do you guys have any like ideas of training or nutrition things? <laughs> I, I, don't, it out. Honestly. I don't know. They come, 
they come and go and come back and I, I feel like they're always like low level there and I forget about them and then like I'll hear I have a client or I'll be visiting family and someone will be like oh since you're into fitness I've been doing this thing recently and I'm like oh that's back again yeah. okay sounds yeah. good <laughs> I typically run into it that way as well like going to family gatherings or get togethers of people that aren't really in the fitness world or coach, you know, obviously, or just normal people going around about their business. And you just hear about these trends that are kind of happening and you're like, Oh, okay, that's a thing now. Let me look that up. Uh, I, and last gathering I was at, we, uh, it came up where there was this new diet. Um, well, there's a couple of new diets talks about one was like the fuck it diet. And I was like, <laughs> repeat yourself, please. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean by that? Like, what's the premise of the diet? And it's a basically like a mix between intuitive eating mixed with, you know, some other, you know, a few other things. And it's right, like, right. so at the end of the day, it's just a blend of other trendy diets that they've now, I think it's like the same thing that's happening within like the, the, um, the publication industry of since Mark Manson released his original, um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. It's like now, there's so many books with that sort of title yeah, and that going that route. I think that just happens with diet trends as well. Like there's a successful one. Um, and then who from a corporate level, like who creates a product based around it? So I think keto is fueled so greatly by these exogenous ketone companies that were spreading this message and they were spreading this MLM, um, hierarchy of, of things and profits and, motivations for people to keep spreading and keep spreading to keep making money and keep making money and they were just feeding and fueling the system um and you see when that happens i think that's where you get longevity of a trend yeah and without the backbone of corporate america or without the backbone of a corporate system or mlm system you lose the longevity of something like that it's the only it's the only fad diet that can really do that too because you can't sell anything on intermittent fasting <laughs> Right. You can't really sell much on a, a flexible dieting approach. Well, now there's like water fasting, right? Like that's a new thing. Yeah. Water and juice fasting. Yeah. Well, like or people are even holding well, off yeah. on. So the people are holding off on drinking water, water even. Yeah. I've seen that. It's, yeah. it's really, really sad to read those Instagram mm. posts because it'll literally be like, oh, I feel so much more connected now that I didn't drink or eat. And it's like, what sense. is it going to get to like air fasting? Like only took one breath in the morning yeah. and that sustained me the rest of the day until I literally died two minutes later, but <laughs> felt sustained and really clear then. There would be a euphoric feeling because yeah. of all the shit internally that's going on. <laughs> like your body's like, dude, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> like. Yeah. yeah, that's wild. I think it's it, it's pretty crazy how, how we see things. And it's actually – I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's it's cool. I've been doing this for almost nine years as far as like – I mean, I, I wouldn't say I've been like like a high-level coach for that long. But like I've been in this space yeah. doing things for nine years. You've been observing for nine years. Yeah. And it's really cool to see things come and go and see what has, has stayed, which is never marketable because it's balanced. It's It's – periodization and things like that but um it is really cool to be able to see things come and go and see the different trends um I, i've been talking about the idea of I, I personally believe that like individualization as a as a whole is probably going to be taking over more and more and i think that's like one of the next i don't, I don't even want to call it a trend because i just i think it's a really positive thing that's happening but i find more and more people want to commit to longer periods of time pay more money get more special attention and have more of a specific approach that's like really designed for them versus following generic plans. Whereas when I first got into this, it was 
group fitness, boot camps, meal plans that everybody shared. Like it was all just as many people into one thing as possible. And it was highly unindividualized. And now it's like taking the whole, completely 360, which I love. And obviously we all love because it's what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's not necessarily a trend, but I, I predict that that's going to continue taking over, if that makes sense. I hope so. Same. Yeah. I think then she needs it. Um, last question from Trudy. When we have a client who needs to lose 100 plus pounds, how? I cannot bring her to 1,000 calories a day. I won't do it. Well, I definitely don't think you need to do that. Um, I'll let you guys start this one since I started the last one. Uh, I mean, we've already kind of touched on diet breaks, but I think that one thing that we implement with a lot of our lifestyle clients is like eight to 10 weeks of dieting and then two weeks of a diet break getting back to maintenance and then just kind of bouncing back and forth is going to be advantageous. But I wouldn't push a for, for me personally, and you both can speak for yourself, I suppose, but mm-hmm. I would say like 14 to 16 weeks of dieting and then ba- it's just going to be a long, long process. I mean, mm-hmm. that much weight, you've got to have the athlete or individual commit to, I mean, a year, two years, mm-hmm. like really digging deep into a very committed process because, um, I, I mean, it can happen faster, of course, but the uh, ability to keep that weight off is going to be the challenge for that individual for the rest of their life. And so you've got to set them up with the tools to, to make that happen. We, yeah. we talked about that on our interview that we did earlier, which won't be out by the time this airs, but, um, <laughs> we're to it after. <laughs> those like long-term <laughs> diets. It's like, making sure you step into it and you don't just tell the person, okay, we're dieting and there's no end to it. It's like, let's set up a timeline where it is 12 weeks or it's 14 weeks or it's 16 weeks maybe, but there's diet breaks implemented in. We have a maintenance phase afterwards, even if you're not even close to your weight loss goal. If you have hundred pounds to lose and you lose 30, still taking a maintenance phase because diet fatigue is going to settle in. So if, if you want to keep going until you hit that hundred, I think taking those breaks is so important yeah. along the way. Being proactive with, I mean, I had, a girl that came to me and she had lost over a hundred pounds and she still had a decent chunk to lose. And I was like, well, what have you done to do that? And she was like, well, I've just dieted until I lost a hundred pounds. And I was like, well, now you're set yourself up in a very unadvantageous position because you can't diet now for a little bit because we need to get your body back yeah. in a spot to be able to. And as we talked about on our podcast of just the fact of you need to be upfront with them. Like you can't lose a hundred pounds in one dieting phase. Yeah. You, you can, but is it right to do so? So being able to put together a structure, put together a plan, have those diet breaks, but also making sure like you don't need to take her to a thousand calories. The first 15 pounds are going to be a lot easier than the last 15 pounds. That's for sure going to be the case. But with that, and especially with that much weight to lose, it's very hard as the individual to be like, well, I still have weight to lose. Why would I eat food. Yeah. Why would I stop? Why would I eat food when that's doing the opposite of what my goal is? Yeah. But being able to lay it out for them is going to be absolutely huge. Instead of just being like, Oh, we're doing a dieting phase, a hundred pounds. Here we come. Yeah. It's like, we got to do this in sections. This is going to take you time. And like you talked about, just if you didn't gain it in four weeks, you're not going to lose it in four weeks. Yeah. So you, if it, how long it took you to gain that a hundred plus pounds to be in that spot, you're going to have to take time to get it off. And how you go about that with the, is all dependent on the individual. You know, there's some people that are highly motivated off fast results and those people I'll take a much more aggressive approach and I'll take more frequent diet breaks because I want them to see immediate results Mm -hmm. because that fuels their adherence to keep going with me. Um, Whereas some people that just is too much, too stressful to, it gives them anxiety. So for them, it's like, Hey, we're going to take a really slow approach. So with that person, it's a very small deficit and we're just focusing on eating better food, not going to fast food anymore walking more, moving more, and just slowly losing weight. Um, other individuals, like there's a lot of research that shows like you can put 
really heavy overweight people on a very low calorie diet and they're not going to see very negative physiological adaptations until they lose a lot of weight because they have mm-hmm. so much stored body fat that they could survive on. But from a mental perspective, that's really tough very on people. Difficult. So again, that's where like research is one thing. Like I, uh, I interviewed, um, Dr. Uh, Stefan Guianet, the author of hungry brain. And this is something we kind of debated on actually. He was uh, of the, of the fan of like being much more aggressive and, and taking people on a harder approach. And, and my reasoning was kind of like when you're doing eight week studies with obese individuals, that probably is the best route. It's in a metabolic ward. Mm-hmm. I'm working with people for a year. They're not in a research study. They're not getting paid to do this. They, you know what I mean? They have a normal life. It's a completely different scenario. So I think in real life, it, it really depends on the individual. Mm-hmm. I think nutritional autoregulation is something that I hope gets more traction because I think training autoregulation is one thing, mm-hmm. but I think nutritional autoregulation is another. And I think the ideology of it is, is around and we use it, but I don't think it's pretty, it's as concrete as the training autoregulation. So um, basically what all I mean by that is using what we just talked about with training, but doing that nutritionally, like you have to be in communication. And that's something that we talked about in our episode about uh, tailoring the coaching method, right. And individualizing nutrition and training and just individualizing the coaching experience is communication with your clients. And I think at the end of the day, you have, you go at the pace at which they can go. Um, especially if, if it's someone who is a obese or morbidly obese person, you're not just dealing with mechanisms and hormones and physical effort. You're also dealing with years and years and years of ideologies and psychological stress and trauma of what they're dealing with across their life. And you're also dealing with their life. If, what do they have? If they have kids, do they have a stressful job? Are they constantly try Like there's so many things that are going on. And I think nutritional autoregulation is one of those things that you can start to use and communicate with. And, Some people you could go 14, you know, we've had people, you can go 16 straight weeks, 24 straight weeks Mm -hmm. and just, they love it. They're responding well, the the weight's just falling off, their blood, blood work looks fine. Uh, And then there's people like that you think that you can put them on this deficit, but like theoretically it should work. And after four weeks, it's like, we already need a diet break. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but people are different and people react differently. They have different perceptions on what stress they can handle and environments play environments play. Yeah. Who's, who's their support system. That's Mm -hmm. something I know Sue talks a lot about. Like, do you have a support system and does your spouse support this? I think one of the, one of the realist stories that I've seen this told in was the show, this is us. Um, Mm -hmm. and basically, um, sad show. Yeah. It's really good. It's a real show. (laughs) It's very real. They cover so many different topics so eloquently. And um, looking back at the couple that is overweight in that show, mm-hmm. the man or the, the Toby, the male in that relationship, when they, after they have a child, he takes his stress out by training. And it became this bone of contingency. The better he looked, the worse she got mentally because she wants nothing more to, than to do that, but she can't seem to get it going. But now it's not really a supportive thing for Toby in that regard because every pound he loses has a negative consequence on his wife's mental health. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, ah, what do I do? Yeah. Um, obviously, that's a super, super specific situation, but I just want to kind of 
give context to this is a multifaceted yeah. thing and you have to be very careful. I think that's super important to talk about that too, because I'll get people that have asked me, um, about like, if I'm like when I, it happened more so when I was doing my last photo shoot cut, like, and they were like, how is like, how are things going so well? Like, it seems like you're actually eating a lot of carbs. And I'm like, you have to remember that like I own a training space. I, my wife helps me cook dinner every single night. Um, I have full control of my environment to eat how I want to eat. I don't get any judgment or comparison or anything to track my macros, set up my training at the perfect time of every day can do like, there's just no limitation if I really want to dial in because my lifestyle is, is designed around fitness and nutrition. Um, and I'm open with that. And I think there's a lot of like influencers that won't talk about that stuff. And so they're like, you can do it too. And it's like, sometimes it won't be as easy for you as it is for me because I've purposely designed my life (laughs) for it to be easy. And I I can help you try to design your life a little bit better. So it's easier on you, but having a, like we're talking about comparison in our podcast, I think like eliminating comparison by just focusing on your environment, your body, like your goals is so important. So I think that's a good analogy talking about them too. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.